Well, good morning again, and welcome to Tri-Cities Church, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, I, I appreciate, I look up to uh, men who are, who are playing their role in the home, and that's so crucial in our uh, society that, that men are present in the homes. Um, and I, I um, you know, it, it, it's something that, that clicked with me one day. You know, the Bible, you know, from time to time and over and over, really over and over again, it refers to God as, as Father, right? And, and there's no avoiding that. You know, the Bible refers to God as Father. He's our Heavenly Father. We pray to Him as our, our Heavenly Father. Some people, when they pray, they say, our, our Father. When Jesus taught us how to pray, He said, Our Father who art in, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, and so the Bible's always calling God Father. And so men play a specific, particular, and extremely important role in this world as fathers. They teach us, they teach us what God is like on the one hand, and they point us to God on the other. They teach us what God is like on the one hand, but because they're imperfect and will always be so, they point us to God on, on the other. And so this morning we're thankful for fathers. We celebrate you fathers. We pray for you. Uh, fathers, that God will continue to give you strength, that you might teach us what God is like, and you might point to God on the other. Amen? Well, this morning we're continuing our Seven Churches uh, series. Uh, so uh, we've been in Revelation, and this is week five, and so there's seven churches. In Revelation chapter one, uh, Jesus refers to these churches as, as lampstands, right? Um, because his light shines through them, uh, not through a building, right? Not, not through uh, a, a gathering like this, per se, but through us individually as people who are the church, right? We are the church. Um, the church isn't, isn't reduced, and we must uh, resist that temptation that's kind of pressed upon us in our society um, by the institutionalization of the church, um, to reduce the church to uh, a gathering or to reduce the church to a building, um, or to reduce the church to only a people when they're together. But we are the church Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, seven days a week. We are the church. And Jesus calls them lampstands because so important to our being, our existence, is that we are to shine the light of God. And so um, there are seven uh, golden or red lampstands, as we're interpreting um, um, the scriptures for these seven uh, churches, and we want to look at what God is saying to these churches, uh, not just what he's saying to them, but what he's saying to, to us as well through what he says to these churches. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. Uh, God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place and gather peacefully, to gather publicly, to gather without fear. But God, even... As we see in the church in Revelation, as we see around the world today, the church does not always gather in peace. It does not always gather without fear. It does not always gather publicly. But God, we thank you for the peace and the strength you give us today to gather here to study your scriptures. And God, we pray that you unveil yourself to us through them that we might come to know you better, that we might place even more significance upon the word God, our Father, and that we might reach up to you, reach out to you for our daily strength. 
It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So this morning we're at the church, uh, the church in Sardis. And so um, um, when my wife and I, uh, when we first got married, we had just gotten married, um, I felt um, a call from God. I, I was going into ministry. I was in seminary our first year of marriage. I graduated from seminary. I felt a call from God to this church down uh, in Milledgeville. Millersville, Georgia. Some of you might be familiar with Millersville. Some of you may have been your first time ever hearing of the word Millersville. But the, the first church that I actually served was First Christian Church in, um, in Millersville. And, and when God called us down there, and I heard about this church that was looking for a pastor, and we felt that, um, that God was doing something in our lives, and God was calling us to Millersville. I had never heard of Millersville. I, I knew one thing, right, that I had traveled um, um, either to Florida or, or to, um, to North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, places like that, as a child growing up. And I knew that any time you got outside Atlanta, it was you quickly got into the sticks, right? Um, you, you, when you get outside the perimeter, you get into to, to the rural areas real fast, right? And, and, I, and, I, and I knew in my heart and, and that, that I didn't want to live in one of those places, right? Um, and so I said, Millersville, I've never heard of it. It's not in Metro Atlanta. I don't, I don't want to go there. Um, but but we, the, the calling of God, the tugging of God, um, was strong in our lives. Uh, and so we went down there. We met this wonderful church community. Uh, and we chose to, uh, chose to move down there uh, and, and to minister to this, this church that, that was there uh, for several years. And, uh, and, and we had a wonderful time. We, we had a, life was definitely slower, um, but community was deeper. And we celebrated that. And in fact, there, there are times now that we, we look back and we say, yeah, I mean, it was nothing for life to just slow down on a school night and for people to spend time with one another. And now we're busy and we're rushing. Kids got to get to school. We got to get this done, this done, this done, this done. Uh, and it just doesn't seem like there's enough time in the day. And almost there, it almost, to us at least, it felt like, felt like there was too much time in the day. I mean, I remember we just, we just kind of hung out and life was, life was, was a little bit, a lot, um, a lot slower. Now, one of the things that, that many people don't know about Milledgeville, and, and well, the, the worst thing, at least to me, about, about Milledgeville, I, we loved it. We, we did well there. Uh, our relationship was healthy there. Our, our relationships with others was healthy there. But one of the things we, we hated about Milledgeville is our family was still here. And we came home often on the weekend. And the drive to Milledgeville was just not a fun drive. And so we, we couldn't stand driving down there. It was one of those little two-lane roads after you got off the highway uh, for almost an hour. And you get stuck behind a slow car. And I'm telling you, I, I passed some cars on one of those little two-lane roads sometimes. And I was praying that God gave me the speed uh, to make it around that car before I came face-to-face uh, with another. We, couldn't, we just couldn't stand that that drive, it just wasn't accessible. And what some people don't know about Millersville is that it was, before Atlanta, it was the capital of Georgia from 1804 to 18, I think, 65. It was the, the capital of Georgia. Um, but the capital moved right after the Civil War. And, um, and, and it's interesting, so, that right after the Civil War and Atlanta was burned down, right, um, when, when Sherman came through and burned Atlanta, right after that, the capital was moved to Atlanta um, because of the accessibility of Atlanta. Right, because there were trains that were coming from multiple different directions. And in fact, this was a terminus for a, a tra- railroad track that came out from the west. It was just an extremely accessible location. Unlike Milledgeville, it was just not accessible at all. It was just miserable to get there. But Atlanta was, was an accessible location. And so the capital moved, moved here. And Atlanta began to grow in significance and importance. And the population began to grow 
uh, and to expand. And so when we look at the church in Sardis, Sardis was a city that was extremely accessible. There were five roads coming, main roads, highways, if you will, that were coming into Sardis. And so when we look at Revelation chapter 3, which is where we're beginning now, um, where Jesus is writing this letter to the church at Sardis, right? Sardis had all these roads that came into it. Uh, and therefore, because they were able to, um, to, to, to gain uh, wealth and, and import things from this area, this area, this area, this area, and they could export to easily to this area, this area, this area. Business went well in Sardis, right? Life just seemed easy in, in Sardis um, because you could start a business and it would prosper, right? You didn't, you didn't have to worry very much about uh, having business because you weren't just limited to your neighborhood because you could sell outside. Trade happened well uh, within the city of, of Sardis. And so life just, it, it almost like, um, you ever see these, these studies, you know, they, they like to do a lot of them that talk about the worst places to live or the most crime-ridden places to live. But there are also those that talk about the best places to live uh, and, and the, the best places to raise family. You know, you just click through these things, right? They just, that's what they want you to do. They want you to start clicking through these things um, uh, online. And, uh, and if Sardis was around today, it would be rated as one of the best places to live. Because things just seem to prosper there. You start a business, it just seems to grow. You move there, it had the best schools, it had the best of the things in that ancient, in that ancient world. And that wasn't limited just to its uh, society, but that included the church, right? So the church there was growing. The church there um, um, was growing numerically. It, it had a, a healthy number of, of people. And so people all around the world were being persecuted for their faith. Um, um, they were losing their jobs because of their faith. Um, they, they were forced to worship uh, Caesar and the emperors. Um, they, they, were, they were forced into things that, that just didn't line up with Christianity. And as we saw last week, they had to choose between whether I'm going to compromise uh, on what I believe in order that I might keep my job, my house, that my kids might be raised with the things that, that they need. And so the church that we looked at last week, they were just struggling with that, but, but not in Sardis, right? In, in, in Sardis, you didn't have to struggle with any of that. You didn't have to wrestle with one, any of that. It was easy for the church there to grow um, because they didn't have to sacrifice much to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that says something to us today. I, I remember when we, my wife and I, we moved to New Jersey, I remember pastors saying, because we were, we, um, we always struggled, because we, we had, one, we had a hard time finding a church, which in Atlanta, there's churches all over the place, um, but we had a hard time finding a, a church, actually, in the little, um, um, we, we lived uh, in this little village, it was right outside of Princeton, a little village called Kingston, there was like one church, or two churches, there were two churches there, right, and um, it just, you know, here, you, you just go, there's church, there's church, there's church, there's church, um, but, but it just wasn't so there. And I remember pastor saying to me, um, um, one of the things that we like about where we are uh, is that, that the church competes so heavily uh, with society, right, uh, in order to, to get people involved in the church and participating. They said because once people make that decision, they're sacrificing so much that they're more uh, serious about their faith. And so in a society where you don't sacrifice as much, often our commitment level decreases, and so while we look at those societies, we say, well, you know, they went through such persecution and they went through such hard times and they went through so much struggle and we lament that. On the other hand, um, that struggle, that sacrifice is making those who persevere for, through it uh, more committed to the faith which has transformed their life. Now, now we have to be uh, aware of that because sometimes it's, 
yeah, I mean, there's churches on every corner, and, and, and we don't have much to lose by saying we're a church or that we believe. And so our commitment level goes down. Well, in Sardis, that's what was, was happening. Look at, look at what it says in Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to begin right there in verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write. And this is John writing these words from Jesus. He said, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds and your reputation of being alive. And so he says to this church, you have this reputation of being alive because this church is growing, because it's easy to be a follower there. That people know that this church gathers, and when it gathers, there's a lot of people there, and that these people have this sense of ease, and people are even envious of Sardis um, because the church there isn't just, they just aren't dealing with and struggling with so much stuff that other churches were dealing with and that they were struggling with. But notice the word he used there. You have this reputation of being alive. I remember the first time that I um, actually gave meaning to this word reputation. You know, there, there are certain words that we learn the definition of, and you, you could define it, right, according to, you know, how a dictionary would define it, and you, you know what it means. But there's a difference between uh, knowing what a word means and actually giving significance to it. Uh, when I was a student, I, I remember, um, um, actually, yeah, I, I remember uh, gaining an understanding of this word reputation and that, um, that reputation didn't always line up with reality. Uh, see, I, I was, uh, growing up, I was just... Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I was kind of nerdy and, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I trying to fit. No, I wasn't very fashion forward. Let me put it that way. I wasn't, y'all oh, you're nothing strange. Uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a very fashion forward guy. I even remember in, in high school, um, th- these were the days of, uh, you know, when, um, baggy pants were first coming into style and, um, everybody wanted these long t-shirts. Now things are kind of reversing a little bit. Um, I, I don't, I, well, I don't know where things are going now. They're just going all over the place. Uh, but baggy pants were coming in style, these long T-shirts. And I always wore my pants up on my hips and pants that fit me well, um, uh, partly because my parents weren't letting me do anything else, um, but, but also because I, I kind of liked it that way. Uh, and so I, w- I would tuck my shirts in and button them up. And I was in public school. Right? We didn't have to tuck them. We didn't wear uniforms. We didn't have to tuck our shirts in, any of that. And I remember people would come up to me in the hallway. This was the biggest prank, right? They would come up to me in the hallway, and they'd rip my shirt out from being tucked into my pants and, and try to unbutton my button and just say, look, look casual. Like, look, look comfortable. You don't have to, you don't have to look so proper all the time. Uh, and I remember when I became a student here, and, and uh, I was a little bit, uh, I, I'll admit, I was a little bit judgmental. Students would come with, like, hoodies and pajamas. Like, I was coming dressed up to school, uh, on, on, you know, and I, I dressed, and I took a lot of pride in what I wore, but I wasn't very fashion forward, so people made jokes of me. Kim took me shopping, made me buy some new some new clothes when we started dating, and I was thinking the same thing. I didn't take you shopping because you're too sloppy. Um, and, and I... <laughs> And, and it wasn't always intentional at first, um, but, but I learned just from talking to some people that I had a, um, a among professors, right, um, that I had a good reputation. Um, and that reputation wasn't based in reality. That there were people that I had never met who knew nothing about me that said positive things about me. And that light bulb came on, 
And I began to view reputation as a tool to get to where I want it to go. I tell people all the time that, that reputation precedes you. It goes before you. People are going to know something, think something about you before you even arrive. And it's not based in firsthand knowledge. It's often based in secondhand knowledge. And often it doesn't line up with, with reality. Well, that's what's going on at this ch- in this church in, in Sardis, right? God says you have this reputation of being alive. There's this secondhand knowledge that is floating around the ancient world, and people are saying, yeah, that church in Sardis is alive. If we could be like that church in Sardis, growing and healthy, with full, filled with people, enjoying the Lord, persevering in, in, through hardship. But what they didn't know is that Jesus knew the reality of the church in Sardis, because if you look at Revelation chapter 1 and you continue reading, it says, These are the words who him who hosts the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead, he says. You have this reputation of being alive, but that's not reality. But you are dead. And he says to them, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. You see, this church in Sardis had progressed to a certain point, but they had become stagnant in their life in God. The church was growing, and what we see here is that the church can be growing uh, 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 numerically and be dead spiritually, right? That, that, that numerical growth is not necessarily a sign of spiritual growth. And what God desires from the church is not filled buildings, right? What God desires from the church is not just attendance, right? He doesn't just want you to show up. He wants you growing. He wants you growing spiritually. He wants, he wants you reading the scriptures. He wants you praying. He wants you uh, living out your faith every single day. And it's hard, but, but in this world where Jesus says this, and I think it's in John chapter 14, he says, in this world you will have trouble. Right now, now he didn't will that trouble. He didn't say, "I want that trouble to come." Uh, he didn't say that I'm sending you this trouble into this world. But he does say, "In this world, you will have trouble." Right? There's going to be hardships. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be things that, that happen. But so, what he wants, uh, his will for us in this world is that we encounter that struggle uh, with perseverance, with faith, with joy, um, uh, with with strength. Um, and that, and that in and through that struggle, our faith grows and becomes deeper and we come to know something about what God is like. And so in the midst of hardship and struggle, oftentimes we say, uh, where is God in the midst of this? And, and the answer to that is God is right there in the midst of it, um, um, uh, going through, strengthening us through it. And when our legs and knees fail, he's carrying us through it as long as we're holding on to him through it. And here's what we experience. Because I I said growing spiritually. Here's what we experience. Um, We experience uh, spiritual growth in the midst of hardship and struggle. And a sign of spiritual maturity is when we get to that point 
where we can say, I wish this wouldn't have happened, or I don't want to experience this pain in this life, or why do I have to go through this? And we're able to say, I thank God that I'm experiencing this. I thank God that I'm going through this. I even thank God for the pain, because I know that if I trust Him through it, that it's going to draw me closer to Him, and that it's part of His sanctifying, refining work in me. I love the way Jamie says, and I think he got it from Stacy, and nobody knows where Stacy got it from. He says, God doesn't waste anything. And, and I've, I've always been repeating this since he said it. God doesn't waste anything, not even our pain. Right? He uses it to refine us, to grow us. And the church at Sardis was sitting back, and they weren't growing spiritually, although they had healthy numbers numerically. And so what we see, and I think what we can take away from this church at Sardis, is that um, there's a difference between, and I think this helps us to frame and get this perspective right, there's a difference between um, our world's standard uh, or uh, uh, interpretation of good and God's standard of good. There's a difference between our world's interpretation of, of good, living good moral lives in this world and our world's interpretation of good let me explain what i mean uh, when i say that because sardis didn't get it and we often uh, don't get it either so as a as a child we're, we're learned we, we're taught what's what's good right um and those things may be like you know from a, from the time you're young maybe don't you know don't slap you know your friend and you know just don't do that or don't spit on someone or don't tell a lie or, or don't fight or don't say certain words that you aren't supposed to be saying, right? And, and there's, this, there's this kind of innate sense that we begin to measure what is good and what's bad in terms that are measurable, right? Uh, and so uh, if, as long as I'm not cussing, as long as, you know, as an adult, this translates into, as long as I'm not cussing and using profanity and as, as long as I'm not being promiscuous and um, and as long as I'm not committing adultery or, or as long as I'm not getting drunk from time to time, as long as I'm not um, uh, uh, fighting people anymore, stealing, robbing, I'm, I'm pretty good, right? Because uh, we begin to measure goodness by in, in measurable terms. We're taught that from the time that we're born, that, there's a, that, that, that good has, has a destination of sorts, right? There has an arrival point it has a finish line once i've cut this thing out of my life i'm good there right and i cut this out of my life and i'm good there uh, and so what ends up happening uh and what the church of sardis began to think is that there was a way for us to be good apart from god right this moral striving would lead me to this place of being good because i could strive i could put all my strength into it i could break habits in my life that caused me to act and live in a certain way and once those habits were broken i had arrived at my destination i was good and progression would cease there right progression would stop there and so, yeah, this church in Sardis, according to some of those measurements that we might have in our world of what's good and what's bad, the church in Sardis had reached those and they had stopped making progress. I, I remember, um, this has been several years back, but I was um, out on this, this trail that ran alongside this, this creek and I was uh, kind of walking the dogs there um, and it had not rained in a long time. And, and, um, and, and so this creek, that, which normally flowed a little bit heavier, had... I mean, it looked like a lake. It looked like it wasn't flowing at all. And I remember, because this was one of my favorite walks to take the dogs on, and I remember going down this trail, um, and, 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 uh, and the, the, the water seemed to have an odor to it. 
Um, and there was all kinds of trash and debris that was there in this stream um, because it, it, it wasn't normally there, but because the flow of the stream had slowed, things began to get caught up in it. Right? There was all kinds of trash and debris and things that weren't intended to be there that got caught up in it. And that happens in our lives spiritually. You know, if we're not making progress, right? If we're not growing spiritually, there are things that begin to get caught up in our lives that weren't intended to be there. So we, we, we can't have this sense of good that has an arrival point or a destination where we can say, hey, I've arrived and I'm there, I'm good. Um, because then we stop making progress, striving towards godliness and God's standard, and then we fall into the fate of Sardis. We have this reputation where people are looking at us and saying, hey, that's a, they're good. You have this reputation of being alive when, in fact, you are dead, he said to the church at Sardis. So what do we do? we got to recognize from the Scriptures that God's standard of being good is much different than our world's interpretation, our society's interpretation of what good looks like. You see, God's standard is not just measured by things like I've stopped doing this, I've stopped doing this, I've stopped doing this, I've arrived. But Jesus comes and he teaches things like compassion. He teaches things like kindness. He teaches things like patience, forgiveness, grace. And these things really don't have an arrival point. We really don't get to a point where I've arrived at being compassionate. Because there's always more that I can do. There, I've never gotten to this point where I've arrived at being patient or, or I've arrived at showing grace or, or I've arrived at being kind because they, they, they just really don't have a destination where I can say I've gotten there and I'm good. And so this church at Sardis had missed this and I don't want us to miss this and that's that there's this constant striving where in the Christian life we are growing spiritually by our reaching for being more like God himself. Right? As the more we reach for the attributes of God, his love, his kindness, his grace, his forgiveness, his compassion, his gentleness, the more we reach for the patience of God and the things that make up God, the more we grow spiritually, right? And then we prevent things from being caught up in us we prevent ourselves from uh, stopping the flow uh, and, and our lives beginning to be looking alive, but in reality, dead. And so the scriptures are saying we have to constantly press forward in this world because we haven't reached our destination. We haven't reached our point of arrival. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in, in, uh, I was down in Florida, and I, I've always wondered, have y'all seen those? Uh, they're becoming kind of trendy now, these stand-up paddle boards. Um, and I've always wanted to, to, to do one. It's like, it looks like a surfboard, sort of a little bit longer, a little bit wider than a surfboard, but you stand up on them, and you, can, uh, you get a little paddle, and you stand, and you paddle. And I've always, I've always wanted to do that, and so I, I found this place where you could rent one of those from. And so I went and rented one, and um, we were down in Florida, but I didn't take it out in the ocean because of the waves and all that kind of stuff, and it was a windy day. But I took it out in this, this kind of bay area um, where there weren't many, many waves. Um, and I got on it, and it was a little rocky, and I, and I finally got my balance. Um, and I was able to stand, and I'm paddling, and I'm, I, at this point, once I got the hang of it, I'm just, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally comfortable, and I'm paddling, and I look back, and I'm a long way from um, where I started the shore, and I'm just going further out into the water, into, 
into deeper waters. Um, and then before I know it, knew it, these um, like motorboats and jet skis and stuff are like circling around me. And if you know how those things do, they cause the water to get wavy and choppy. And all of a sudden, there's these waves that are coming. And I, and I had to stop paddling because I was, I was totally losing my balance. Uh, and I'm sitting there, and this thing feels like it's just rocking like this. And I, and, and I got to this point where I could no longer stand without falling off. So I, I thought to myself, if I just get down on my knees, maybe I can continue paddling. And so I, I got to get down on my knees, and I'm paddling back to the, to the shore, trying to get away from these jet skis. And I'm kind of frustrated with them because they're, like, circling around me and stuff. And, and I'm paddling. Uh, and I get back to the shore, and, and when, uh, when I talked to Kim, I said, hey, I, you know, that thing was fun. I said, I want one of those. Uh, I said, I really enjoyed it, except for there was this one time where the water got real choppy, and I felt like I was going to fall, and I had to get down on my knees. And she said, do you realize what you just said? You see, this is what the church has to get. It's that God is calling us to move forward towards himself. But in our moving, he's not always calming the storm. He's not always taking away the waves. The water is not always going to be smooth. Um, and there are times when in order to make progress, we must get down on our knees. It's not when the water gets choppy, we stop making progress, or when the water gets choppy, we give up, or when the uh, water gets choppy, we stop making progress, but that we get down on our knees, and we look up to the heavens, and we pray to God, and He helps us make it through. And so the church has to see that, yeah, our standard of good that's just natural in this world, doesn't line up with God's standard. That God's standard calls us to this life of making progress, this forward life of progress. And that that's not going to be easy because, what do you say? In this world, you're going to have trouble. But if you pray, but if you pray, which isn't a point of arrival, right? Something that we constantly do. But if you pray, God is able to give us the strength to keep moving forward. Because there are times when he even calls us out upon rough waters. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity to study the scriptures and to learn from this church in Sardis that was struggling so hard to stay alive. And God, that church there in Sardis, um, they died spiritually. Even though numerically they were alive and even though there was still a gathering of people in Sardis, and uh, they were dead. Even though they had the reputation and maybe even the appearance of looking alive, they were dead. But God, I just pray that you help us to see see ourselves through the eyes that you see us. That you will help us to continue making progress. That we won't be in this world thinking we're alive. That we won't be convinced that we can live by our reputation alone. But that we'll keep striving to be more like you. See, in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.